I'm sure you've noticed that the God who has created all things loves variety. Just to give you a couple of examples of that, um, I've learned that there are something like 300,000 species of beetles. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have thought, you know, three or four species would probably be adequate, get the job done, but no. Our God creates 300,000 species of beetles. Why? Because he's a God who loves variety. I've also learned in a one cubic foot of snow, there are 18 million snowflakes, and children, um, no two are alike. I mean, who sees that other than God, right? God does because he's a God who loves variety. And he also loves variety when it comes to people. Fact of the matter is, he made all people, I mean, you can't sit down, say, at a mall, or um, sit down at a gate at an airport, look around at the people who are there without locking eyes on somebody whom God has made. He made everybody and he's made you and me. Now notice these verses of scripture. The first comes from Psalm 139, part of the passage that Ella just read for us. It reads as follows. God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. And then Job says this to God in Job 10 verse eight, your hands formed and shaped me. Now these two passages of scripture draw our attention to three introductory principles that I wanna share with you uh, because they provide the theological and biblical foundation for a series that we're beginning today called Design for a Purpose. So here's the first of the three introductory principles. You are unique. You are unique. There's no one who has ever existed or ever will exist exactly like you. For example, just think of the odds of there being another person in the world with your DNA. Scientists estimate that the DNA molecule can unite in 10 with 2 billion 400 million zeros after it. Now to show you what a long shot that would be, if you were to write out that number and take one inch of space for every zero, you would need a sheet of paper 37,000 miles long. Yeah, so when the Bible says that you and I are unique here in these passages of scripture. That is certainly something that is supported by the findings of science. God made you and then he broke the mold. And so if you were to search the entire world, you would never find another human being with your exact um, fingerprint, voice print, or even your DNA. So you're unique. Second introductory principle. You're not only unique, but you are wonderfully complex. Yeah, that's exactly what David says to God. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. How many of you are married to somebody who is wonderfully complex? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the fact of the matter is we're so complex that we're oftentimes a mystery to ourselves. Perhaps you've had the experience of after an event takes place, you, you say to yourself, why, why did I say that? Or why was I thinking that? Or 
Why is it that I feel the way that I do? So we are indeed complex. And in this series, I hope to shed some light on the mystery that's you. Because the fact of the matter is, you are so complex that we're oftentimes a mystery to ourselves. So here's the third. So you are com unique, you are complex. Third introductory principle is that you were designed by God for a purpose. Now these verses of scripture are emphasizing the fact we've been designed by God, but let me draw your attention to yet another principle uh, found in um, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. Notice the, this passage. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why, what's the purpose? So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now in the original New Testament, the word here translated masterpiece is the word poema, for which we get our English word poem. So you are God's poem, you're his love song. I think another translation has you are his workmanship, you are his masterpiece created for a very distinct purpose. So here's the key question. How then do you go about discovering God's particular purpose for your life? So if you're a student, what's God's plan for you as you think about a career after high school? Where are you going? What are you gonna do? How do you make that kind of decision? And uh, if you're employed right now, are you functioning in your career according to your God-given design? And if you're retired, like me, you know, the question is, what are, what are you doing in your retirement? I'll tell you what is not the purpose of God for you in retire, retirement, and that's to sit around all day watching Judge Judy reruns. I mean, that is not the purpose of God. He has something distinct in mind for you to do. Well, to answer all of these questions, we need to examine our unique design, and that's really what this series is all about. Now, this morning, I just want to kind of give you an overview of the five factors that make up your design because these five factors will tell you what God wants you to do with your life. And then in the following weeks, we'll unpack the meaning further of each one of these uh, five component parts. So here's the first question that's on your sermon outline. How has God designed you? A few years ago, a pastor in the church that I was serving in Roseville Calvary Church. Some of you might know him, Don Mortensen, uh, who used to teach as well at uh, Bethel Seminary for a time. Knocked on my office door one day. He had been uh, studying what other churches do to help people find what their career path ought to be and what their ministry ought to be in the life of the church. So he knocks on my door and he says, Rich, I've come up with something and it's an acronym based on the word design. So that's our outline for today. And it's actually gonna be the outline for this entire series. So if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, the D in design stands for your desires. Desires, so I hope you'll write that down. The word desire is referring to the bundle of motivations that you have, okay? your passions, what drives you, your dreams, um, your ambitions, the things you really care about, the things that you even love to do. All of those matters comprise your desires. Now this is what scripture says 
in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It is God who's at work with you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. So there are desires, there are passions, there are ambitions and concerns, interests that you have given to you by God himself. And you're gonna find maximum satisfaction and joy in life when what you do lines up with those God-given desires. Now to illustrate, let's play a little word association game. In a moment or two here, I'm gonna start uh, having our tech support provide us with a series of pictures. And if you recognize the person in the picture, just speak out what you think this person's passion or desire is in life. Now, some of these people are not Christians. You don't have to be a Christian to have passions or desires in life, but you do have to be a Christian to direct those energies and desires to fulfill the purposes of God. So here's the first picture. Who is this? Yeah, okay, if you said Sean White, you're correct. Five-time Olympian, won the gold medal uh, three times. So what's his passion? What would you say? Half-pipe snowboarding? Would that work for you? Okay, right. Okay, he's the goat, oftentimes referred to as the goat of the sport. All right, here's another picture. Who's this? Denzel Washington. By the way, he's a believer. And what would you say is his passion in life? Okay, acting, all right, that would work, okay. Now here's another one. Be careful now as you see this picture in terms of your response. <laughs> Jacob Fry, of course, is the mayor of our city of Minneapolis. Putting aside all the political stuff, whether you agree with him or not, what would you say he's passionate about? Okay, serving the, the city, the people of Minneapolis. All right, that works for me. Okay, another one. Who's this? Oprah, okay. What's she passionate about? Okay, music, entertainment, right, acting, okay, those kinds of things. Now, this next person is a picture of someone who's this, uh, deceased, but what was this person's passion in life? Who is this? All right, Billy Graham, what would you say he was passionate about? All right, evangelism, especially crusade evangelism, right? Okay, one more, here's a picture of a very good-looking young man. Why? What are you laughing about? <laughs> okay, what would you say I'm passionate about? Well, if you know me at all, you would say that I'm passionate about the health and ministry of the local church. Well, guess what? You also have desires and passions, and knowing them will give you direction in life. Now, some of us, you can take that picture down of that guy anytime you want to. That'll be fine. All right. Some of us have desires or passions that are related to helping a particular group of people. Maybe you're just passionate about working with kids or students or the elderly, the homeless, those recently divorced. I mean, there are all kinds of possibilities here. So some of us are passionate about working with a particular group of people. Others of us are really passionate about a particular cause or an issue. 
Maybe it's race prejudice. Maybe it's police reform. Maybe it's the care of the environment, world hunger, human trafficking, social justice. There are all kinds of possibilities here as well. So some of us, people, particular group, others are kind of a cause, an issue, and still others of us revolve in terms of our interests around certain functions. Maybe for you it's organizing things, or you just love to step in behind the scenes, help out in practical ways. So ask yourself these three questions. Number one, if you knew that you could not fail, what would you love to do to, to make an eternal difference for the glory of God? What would that be? I hope you'll be thinking about that long after this message is over. What would you love to do to make an eternal difference for the glory of God? Number two, if I went to your friends, mention your name, and ask them, what is you, what are you passionate about in life? What are your, what are your ambitions? What drives you? What are the things you care about? What would they tell me? Third key question, what conversation would keep you talking late into the night? And so those are the kinds of questions that will help you to understand your God-given desires. You see, it's not by accident that you have certain passions and desires and other people have very different passions and desires. God wants people to have different kinds of motivations in life to accomplish different kinds of things. So the D in design stands for your desires. All right, the next letter is the letter E, and it stands for your life experiences. There are five key experiences that especially influence the kind of career or ministry that you're best designed for. So here's a list of them. First one you notice is that of family experiences. This would be where you were born, where you were raised, who your parents were if you had brothers and sisters. Now to give you an idea of how this impacts career and ministry opportunities, just imagine in a f sometime in the future as a church we'll be voting on a candidate to become the next senior pastor. Do you think it's going to make any difference if this person was born, say, in rural Mississippi, never left the state for anything, and um, is coming up to Minnesota, and specifically working in a city context? Do you think that would make a difference? It sure would. All right, so family experiences impact these decisions. So does educational experiences. What were your favorite subjects in school? other than lunch and recess, okay? All right, so educational experiences, vocational experiences, that would be the, the, the kinds of jobs that you really enjoyed doing. Spiritual experiences would be not only times of failure, but times of growth, and even painful experiences. It's amazing how God can use our losses, disabilities, our troubles and problems in life, the things that have hurt us, maybe it's a family issue for you. Look at this passage of scripture. We're gonna spend more time in 2 Corinthians chapter one in a few weeks, but here's the fourth verse. God comforts us in all our troubles, why? So that we can comfort others, have a ministry to them. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And so your life experiences also contribute to your God-given design. They influence every single area of your life. And God can use them for your good and his glory. 
All right, the S in design stands for your skills, your skills. Skills refers to your natural or developed talents and abilities. The Bible says this about certain people who worked on the tabernacle, Exodus chapter 35. The Lord has given them special skills as jewelers, designers, weavers, embroiderers in, in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn on fine linen cloth. And because God gave them those special skills, notice it says they excel in all the crafts needed for the work. Well, you have skills too. The average person has something like between 600 and 700 skills. You might have skills when it comes to working with computers or um, you know, mechanical things, or financial management, or skills in the area of, of um, music, or painting, or construction. I heard the story about a man who came to his pastor and said, Pastor, I have some skills when it comes to repairing cars. And I think there's a potential ministry in our church, Pastor, because we have some single parents who don't have the resources to um, to uh, deal with repair issues on their vehicle. So he starts this ministry, changes their oil, does all of these kinds of very practical things uh, for these single moms. So God can use our skills in all kinds of ways and ministry opportunities too. Now the I in design stands for your individuality. So this would be your temperament, your personality. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 6, Philip's uh, translation, God works through different people in different ways. Boy, does he ever. So individuality or personality refers to three things, okay? The way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act. Some of your personality uh, comes from genetic factors. Some of it is the result of uh, environment in which you grew up. Others, uh, uh, part of it uh, would be learned. So if you're a parent and you have two or more children, perhaps you've seen this played out in their lives. Isn't it amazing that the same set of parents can give uh, birth to children in terms of their personality that are radically different? You know, one comes into the world cooing and calm and compliant, and the other at two months is ready to take on the world, you know, so that we can be as different as day and night. So your personality influences every single area of your life. Right now, for example, our church is going through a lot of transition, a lot of change. Some of you say, change? That's great. Love change. Bring it on. Others of you, oh, change, I mean, that's an issue. So the way you respond to change, the way you make decisions, what makes you laugh, what makes you cry, everything about you is affected by this matter of your personality. So um, just think, for example, of how your individuality impacts you at your work. Some of you are energized by tasks, like me. Others of you are energized by being around people. So. For example, if during this pandemic, you had to stay at home and work all by yourself, I mean, that probably drove you crazy. He made some people who love routine, me. He made other people who love variety, maybe that's you, okay? There are thinkers, there are feelers, there are those who work best. When you just give them an individual assignment, tell them where their cubicle is, where their computer is, and let them do their thing. Others, no. 
they're better off working as part of a team. So some of you are very schedule conscious, you're very organized, and others are more spontaneous and flexible. Well, there's no right or wrong personality. God has given you the personality that you have and he did it for a purpose. He wants you to use it for him and his glory. All right, G in design stands for gifts, spiritual gifts. And here's what the Apostle Paul says about that topic in 1 Corinthians 12. Look at these verses. Now, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it is the same Holy Spirit who is the source of them all. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church grow. So if you're a Christian, God has given you at least one spiritual gift. Many believers have a combination of gifts. So for example, if you have a gift to teach, you might also have the gift of knowledge where you just enjoy doing a lot of research. Some people with the gift, say, of prayer also have the gift of faith. So there are all kinds of gifts, there are all kinds of personal uh, differences and combinations. The Bible emphasizes something like 25 distinct spiritual gifts, teaching, administration, leadership, hospitality, and many others. Now to illustrate how this works, imagine there's a family of seven people. Each one has a very different spiritual gift. They're sitting around the table enjoying a meal Somebody carries in a tray of desserts, trips and falls, the dessert is flying all over the room. So here's how the different individuals would, re would respond to that kind of a crisis based on their gift. Person with the gift of mercy, don't feel bad, that could have happened to anybody. Preaching gift, that's what happens when you're not careful. Yeah. Serving, let me help you clean it up. Teaching. The reason it fell is because it was too heavy on the one side of the tray. Teaching gift, okay? All right, exhortation. Next time, let's serve the dessert with the meal, okay? Giving, I'll be happy to buy you a new dessert. Or administration, Jim, please go get the mop. Sue, help pick it up. Mary, help me fix another dessert. So that's how that would work. So we're all different. And God's desire is that you discover your gift, develop your gift, and then deploy or use your gift to function in his church and in his world. So we're going to be talking in more detail about gifts. Now N in design stands for your niche. When you discover your desires, experiences, skills, individuality, and gifts, you find your N, you find your niche how God wants you to serve him in his church and world. All right, so that leads us to a second question. What lessons should I draw from all of this? Well, there are four that I wanna to bring to your attention. The first of which is this. You're a combination of all five of these factors. So they all work together. One of these elements is going to influence all the others. All right, so you're a combination of, of them all. Second conclusion, your design is fixed by God. Now, it can be stretched, and often is, in various directions for the different stages and experiences we have in life. But your design is going to probably get demonstrated very early in life. Sometimes you see this in the life of a child. As the child gets older, you see the same pattern developing and will continue to be that way for the rest of your life. 
And interestingly enough, not even becoming a Christian necessarily changes your design. So one of the questions that will be in, in the list of discussion questions given out this week to those of you in a um, sermon-based growth group or a Sunday morning uh, uh, sermon-based uh, community will be to ask you to study the design of the Apostle Paul. You'll be given verses of scripture to look up. Well, if you were to examine the life of the Apostle Paul before he became a Christian, you would discover here's a man of a lot of zeal and enthusiasm coupled with a sharp analytical mind. Look at Paul after his conversion, what do you find? The exact same things are there, only now, of course, they're directed towards serving Jesus Christ. So not in, even your conversion changes your personality, it just kind of redirects it. So if as a child, you know, you were pulling pranks on the other kids in kindergarten, more than likely you'll still be doing it when you're 100 years old. Yeah, pulling pranks. Or on the other hand, if as a child you had a caring heart for hurting animals and you uh, nursed a little, you know, a, a, an injured kitten back to health. Maybe as an adult you're still dealing with injured animals or perhaps even hurting people. You're made that way. So just to give you another example of this, when I was like in third grade, I don't know why, but I had to do a school report on the French Foreign Legion. I mean, how weird is that, right? I still have the report to this day. But doing the research on the French Foreign Legion, organizing the research, and then I had to share it with, a, with the entire class was a very energizing experience for me. A few years ago, somebody pointed out, you know, Rich, you're still doing that every single week when you prepare sermons. You're doing the research, organizing the research, sharing the research. So, you never get tired or bored when it comes to doing what God designed you to do. You'll get to the point where even after doing it hundreds of times, you're still ready for another opportunity. Why? Because that's how God made you. Your design is fixed by God. All right, a third conclusion, or C on your outline, your design must be expressed. What I mean here is there's no escaping you being you. You can try to be somebody else, you know, a rock star, a gifted athlete like Tom Brady or somebody else, you know, but the reality is sooner or later, your real self is gonna come through. So if your job doesn't allow you to function according to your design, and maybe for you it doesn't, maybe you don't like your job, but you're stuck there right now, then look for some other way to express it outside of work, maybe in a hobby or maybe in your ministry through the life of this church. I've learned in supervising staff over the years, you can give them a job description, here are the things you're supposed to be doing, but the reality is every staff person will focus on those aspects of the job that they really love to do. I mean, that's the way you and I are made, regardless of our career choice. And so the secret um, of having a strong organization, for those of you that may be CEOs, or for that matter, a strong church, is to put people in positions for which they've been designed. Then you don't have to motivate them. They're already motivated to do what God designed them to do. And you certainly don't ever have to micromanage them. So they're doing what God wired them to do. All right, here's the next conclusion. 
Your design makes it easier to function according to your niche. Now let me show you here what I mean by this. Look at this chart, and I want you to meet three people, Brad, Tanya, and Mike. Now if you look at the top under desire, you will notice that they all want to function in the same area of life, okay? They all want to work with kids with diffi from difficult life situations. But they have different spiritual gifts. So their desire will tell them where they are to serve or do or have their job, that area, where. Their gift will tell them what they will do in that area, okay? So in the case of Brad with the gift of administration, he might organize events for the children. Tanya with her gift of giving might provide financial support for the ministry. And Mike with his teaching gift might provide them with uh, instruction. So discovering your design will be a benefit to you because you will be doing what you enjoy doing and what you're good at. But at the same time, you will be discovering, the, to use a sports analogy, the position that God wants you to play on his team. So, for example, when it comes to church life, sometimes we have the idea that the congregation are up in the stands and they're cheering the pastors on as they're playing in the game on the field. Go, pastor, go. Go, pastor, go. That is not a biblical picture. The biblical picture is you're on the playing field, you're involved in the game, playing the position that God has ordained for you to play given your design, and the pastors are serving as coaches as you're involved in that game. So um, those are things to consider as you examine your career choice and even your area of ministry. All right, question number three. How then do I go about discovering my design? Four action steps. Number one, commit to listening to all seven messages in this series. Now, there are times probably in the course of the next few weeks you're not going to be able to get here for whatever reason. If that's the case, then I'm encouraging you to consider going to our website, listening to the message online, downloading it, listening to it at a more convenient time. All right, so commit to listening to the messages. Number two, if you're interested in discovering your life design, if possible, if possible, it may not be possible, if it's possible, get involved in a growth group or a Sunday morning community that's sermon-based. Now, many of you can't. We understand that. We get that. But if you can, let me tell you why I think it would be a good idea to participate. Number one, in addition to your getting some discussion questions, that will allow you to go deeper and apply the teaching to your personal life. Each week, starting next week, we'll be giving out a personal exercise related to desires, experiences, skills, individuality, and gifts over the next five weeks. Personal exercises that are, are best then, uh, in terms of maximum benefit, discussed within the context of some supporting people like you're gonna find in a growth group or a Sunday morning community. So those are some good reasons for doing that. Now, if you can't get involved right now, we will make sure that you still get a personal exercise each of these weeks. They'll be available on our website. Some you can pick up after a Sunday uh, service. They'll be available out in the lobby. 
if you want, let us know. We'll email you the exercise. All of that will be good. So commit to listening to the messages. Get involved, ideally, in a growth group or community group. Number three, experiment with ministry or service opportunities. Chances are, when you go to buy or lease a car, you test drive it. You want to find out if it fits. Well, I'm suggesting that you test drive a ministry opportunity in the life of the church. Experiment. We want to be good at that as a church where we are allowing people, so you, 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 you are attracted to something, gee, I think I'll try that out. In five minutes, you might discover, wow, this is what I was made to do all of my life. And other times, you say, no, this is not it at all. And it might take you a little bit longer, but experiment. Now, as you're experimenting, pay attention to three things. First, examine your feelings. Because if you're doing what God designed you to do, you're going to feel good about doing it. Okay? So examine your feelings. Secondly, evaluate your effectiveness. What do I mean by that? Well, gifted people get positive results. So let's say you have the gift of administration. You're going to be helping whatever the team is that you're working with organize itself in terms of better uh, ministry activity. If your gift is that of evangelism, you're going to be effective in um, sharing Christ with people. So examine your feelings, evaluate your effectiveness, and then expect confirmation from others. It's letting you know that God is using you in that area. So experiment. Finally, surrender yourself in this process to the Lord. Okay? It's praying, Lord, today I'm fully surrendering my life to you. If you already know what your design is, and you're functioning in your career, perhaps also a ministry opportunity in ways that reflect how God has wired you, that's great. Hopefully this series will give encouragement to you and confirmation. But if you don't know, then may God be pleased as you're surrendering this process to him to use all of this to help you to identify the position you're to play on his team. Okay. Now Jesus once said this, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, reference to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's Jesus using his design to serve you. And so what this is saying is he wants you to use your design to serve him in your ministry, in the church, and in the world. May God grant that that will be the case. Let's pray together. Well, Father, it's amazing for us to think that you had us in mind even before we were born, that you fashioned and shaped the DNA that would make each of us like nobody else in the world. So Lord, through this series, help each of us to discover and develop our unique design and may we find incredible joy and satisfaction in being and doing what you meant for us to be and to do from all eternity.